What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here, and yes, I am back. I know it's been a minute, but I'm back just in time for the Cardinals to return home to start a new homestand after a weird and mostly disappointing road trip where they had some embarrassing losses, they had some more players hit the DL, which is the last thing they needed, and then they somehow managed to split the series with the Milwaukee Brewers to salvage, I guess the four-game series in Milwaukee. Now, they head home to greet the Indians, who are leading the AL Central comfortably, without a whole lot of competition. And yet, despite the success of the Indians the last couple of seasons, a lot of people are questioning who exactly this Indians team is and can be, especially in the absence of Andrew Miller, but under the leadership, if you will, of Corey Kluber. There are a lot of pieces to the Indians' puzzle right now, and if you ask today's guest, Stephanie Lissio, she will remind you that this is traditionally a second-half team. So maybe all the worry up until this point is for naught. But that is one of many questions we will answer for you on this series preview. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for joining me ahead of this series with two teams that don't see a lot of each other, but it should be interesting to get a chance to see these two teams and for the fan bases to see the opposing team. The Indians obviously have had a ton of success the last couple of years. Let's just sort of start with what the expectations were for this team and what we've seen so far in the first half. What, how would you describe this Indians team based on kind of what the expectations were? Okay, so it's been kind of a strange season so far. And I think, you know, coming off the pennant in 2016 and coming off last year where they won 102 games, had that huge winning streak, and then lost in the postseason, it was very frustrating. And there were some high hopes for this year, but at the same time, they didn't really make many additions or changes. And especially when it came to the bullpen, which you always, you know, bullpens are volatile from year to year. You always got it kind of keep an eye on that. And they lost Brian Shaw to Colorado, um, who isn't having a great year out there uh, to begin with. But they really have been, it's been sort of a feast or famine team. Uh, the beginning of May was very rough around the end of April too. Um, the bullpen was literally like a rag and a match and a can of gasoline. <laughs> it was just every day was just a new adventure. I mean, there were games where they had six, seven run leads and the other team would come creeping back because the bullpen, I mean, we used to joke like, there Sounds was, like very we, familiar. <laughs> we get up by 10 runs and we'd be like, is this a bullpen safe lead? And we're like, kind of maybe, but knock on wood, that sort of stabilized a little bit. Um, the offense has been um, at many times amazing. Like today, like this whole past week, um, and then at times it's been like it's they've struggled to get three or four hits. And there was a streak back in April where they had, I think, three or four games in a row where they had fewer than five hits. But they managed to win something like two or three of those games because the pitching, the starting pitching in particular, has been strong. They are at the moment, unless someone passed them by today, um, they've used the most innings by any starting staff in baseball. They've used the fewest bullpen innings, which the way the bullpen is pitched, it's a good thing, and and they've lost Andrew Miller to injury. Uh, Cody Allen, their closer, hasn't been – he's been good, but he hasn't been quite as good as he's been the last couple of years. And then the one player that has been just – I mean, 
been a couple that have been really special players so far, but Jose Ramirez. I mean, I think, like I said, unless someone passed him by this afternoon, he was in a three-way tie uh, leading in home runs, and he's tied like Mike Trout. And it was kind of – he was always maybe never perceived as a top prospect, and for him to have not just succeeded in the majors but to be you know, playing at like a star level kind of thing has been a very nice surprise for folks. And then Francisco Lindor has had a good year, and so has Michael Brantley. So let's talk about Ramirez a little bit because, you know, a guy has a year like this and, and you're in the same conversation as Mike Trout or J.D. Martinez and all of a sudden people are going, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Where did this come from? So where did this come from? Did he make a, a concerted effort to change something that has led to this result? I think he's always been a very aggressive, kind of very hardworking person. He's been a good hitter the past couple of years. The power numbers um, – the only thing I've seen is that, I mean, he's got like a very compact kind of tight swing and, you know, and obviously whenever there's a player who's especially a smaller player, there were rumors earlier this year, I think it was maybe a few weeks ago, he got that he had tested positive for PEDs and maybe a suspension was coming, but um, MLB said, no, that's not true. That never happened. And I think that, you know, I know it was Thames in Milwaukee. He said he kept getting tested over and over and over last year. So I think any time there's someone that's doing something that's kind of amazing, there's obviously, I mean, just because of the past of baseball, is going to be some suspicion there. Yeah, it's interesting how quickly you can go from somebody that baseball didn't really pay attention to to somebody that everyone's like, obviously, there's something else going on here. Um, right, right. <laughs> doesn't doesn't take too much. Now, for the Cardinals, uh, in a, I, don't, I don't know how similar it is, but... Um, Jose Martinez has been the player that has kind of surprised a lot of people with his ability to hit at the major league level. He's kind of that mm -hmm. guy that got stuck in the minor leagues uh, in a couple of different organizations. And then with the Cardinals last year, he came up and, and surprised people with the way he could hit really good pitching. Um, mm. He earned a starting role this year, and it's been interesting because <laughs> he's kind of a disaster defensively. Uh, and of course, playing for a National League team, um, he can't just DH. They can't hide the, the defensive flaws. But he's hitting so well that he's forcing himself into the lineup every day. So he actually had been in a, a little bit of, I don't know, a, a slump might seem to be an exaggeration um, because every time you think he's in a slump, then he has a game where he ha hits like two homers and a double or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so he came back in the game uh, Sunday and hit a big three-run homer to help the Cardinals uh, split the series with Milwaukee. So he's kind of that guy for the Cardinals um, that seems like he's come out of nowhere, but now is such a crucial mm. part of their offense. And it's a lot of fun to see those guys kind of get their due when they start to maybe live up to or exceed some of those expectations. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Now, he's not the only guy, Ramirez, that has uh, been part of this offensive core. You mentioned Michael Brantley, a guy that is healthy, evidently, and uh, making an impact. What's it been like for him this season? And, I mean, he's a guy that I think, you know, people think of, people recognize by name, but may not right. may not know uh, quite what he's what he's meant to this Indians team. I think what's interesting about Michael Brantley is he's not 
he's not a bad defender, but he's not a fantastic defender. He is a good hitter. And he's a very uh, smart hitter in the sense that I know in 2016 when he was very antsy because he was injured and he couldn't play, he was actually acting almost like a, a pseudo batting coach in the dugout from what everyone talked, you know, and, and I think that he, he's good enough to even see problems with other hitters that he knows he can sort of uh, fix or make suggestions. I mean, I think he'd make a fantastic hitting coach down the road. And I think he's not very flashy. I mean, he's not going to hit an absurd amount of home runs. You know, there's not a ton of power, but he hits well. He gets on base. You know, he's got some speed when he gets on base and he's just a very consistent player. And I think that's something that the last few years when he's been injured, obviously you can't count on that. But it's been very nice to have someone that even when some of them are just, I mean, at the beginning, Edwin Encarnacion always has a bad start to the year. In April, he's always a mess. And when he was swinging at balls that were almost outside the opposite batter's box, it was nice to have someone consistent like Brantley who could go up there and you know was going to put together a good at bat, even if it didn't turn into anything. Sort of bigger picture, seeing the success this team has had the last couple of years, it seems like you mentioned kind of the hot or cold season so far. It it sometimes seems, though, that the expectations are maybe a little elevated because of the success they, they've had recently. Um, do you feel like this this team has not played up to their ability yet? Is this something that... <laughs> are these guys that are having good years the ones that are going to sort of kick things into to maybe more the expected gear for the Indians at some point? Well, I think what's been fascinating uh, ever since Francona became manager, they've always been a better second half team. They always really, the end of May and into June, they really start to, you know, things start to come together. And even the winning streak last year was in, late August and September. So, I mean, you know, that's when they're really rolling. And, you know, you always say that the playoffs, you know, you just want to get there because it's the team that's hot at the moment. And they go to the 2016 playoffs with like two and a half starters because they had Trevor Bauer at first. They almost placed his finger off. And then they just get hot at the right time and they just kept winning and they just stayed in till, till game seven of the World Series. And, you know, as crushing as it was, you, you tell yourself you really – didn't even think they'd make the playoffs. And then here you are at this point. So you feel kind of guilty and almost like I shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't be talking like this. This is, I'm being obnoxious here, but you know, it, I think that's what happens. Now it's the opposite and you kind of do have high expectations, but I think also fans have adjusted to the fact that they're never that great in April and May. And they really then start to warm up after that. It's nice when there is at least a little bit of a track record that gives you the uh, the indication that something could change as they go forward in the year. Now, you mentioned Trevor Bauer. He is not one of the starters scheduled to pitch in this series with the Cardinals, but I want to talk about him for a minute because yeah. as an outside observer, I find him absolutely fascinating um, yeah, in, the, in the way that he approaches his career as well as just sort of the the personality that he has and the willingness he has to put that all on display uh, with with social media or in you know more traditional television media. He's just kind of he's a very big personality, and I think yeah. that that shows 
both personally and professionally. Is that a, a fair way to describe Trevor Bauer? <laughs> I definitely think it is. And, and just to go along, I don't know if you happen to see this. I'm not sure how much it made it nationally beyond Cleveland. But he and Carlos Carrasco started this thing where they would take balls in the dugout and make little, I guess, better lack of a better term, dolls of the players. So like Jose Ramirez sort of had like, they had yarn glued onto his head. So it looked sort of like his orange curls. And they had like, you know, they made a Brian Shaw and they had one for, I think, every person on the 25 man roster. And then they made t-shirts you could get with the little ball dolls. But Trevor Bauer would literally bring like a, looked almost like a crafting kit into the dugout on his days off. And he would make these dolls and they'd be like, oh, who's today? Like, who's he working on today? Oh, that's Michael Brantley, you know? And it's just, it was a very strange thing, but it was kind of very cool thing that you're, and I think they auctioned them off for charity in the end, but it's, you don't see that normally with normal major league players. They're not sitting like head down on the bench with, with glue and yarn and googly eyes and whatever he was using for them. Yeah, that's I, just very, like I said, larger than life personality, yeah. kind of a guy that you're <laughs> like, what, for real? This is, this is what's happening? Um, right. But he's also, I, I, it seems like he's that sort of ingenuity and that sort of creativity comes into play in his baseball career as well. He's a guy that has really spent a lot of time. We talk a lot about analytics and about the way that the game is changing. He's embraced that, I think, as much yeah. as any baseball player can in how he's tried to make himself better. Right. And that's one thing I will give credit with the Indians coaching staff. I think they've really let him be him. And I think that wasn't really happening in Arizona. And I think it, it took a while to get where it is now, where they're sort of working with each other and helping each other in the best ways possible. But, you know, I think that without them sort of saying, all right, you can do this strange long toss in the outfield before the game. And, all right, you can do this and you can do that. And he's also, I mean, Again, Nakamura have been fairly durable. He can throw a lot of innings. Um, you know, he doesn't have a lot of injury issues. And I think, you know, if this is what's working for him, then they absolutely should let him keep doing what he's doing. Yeah, I, I imagine it's sort of a weird line for an organization to have someone who is um, so extremely proactive about their own career that they're not just yeah. like, I don't know, I'll do what the coaches tell me. But instead they're like, no, 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 no. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> right. Um, because there's, a, I'm, I can, when Colby Rasmus was with the Cardinals back mm -hmm. in the day, there was some of that weirdness going on where there was this sort of conflict between what he wanted to do or what he was being told outside of the team compared to what the team was telling him. And, and it can create a weird gray area where you're not really sure whose voice to follow. Um, right. So I, with Trevor Bauer, I, I see that same sort of thing, but the Indians seem to have found a way to... Uh, to, to let it all work. Maybe it's just because right. he's pitching well, so they don't worry about it. <laughs> right. I think also he's been there long enough now that everyone's used to each other. And I think the catchers got used to him too, because mm. I forget who it was, Montero was it, that was catching him in Arizona that really tangled with him. And I remember when he was first traded to Cleveland, um, Carlos Santana was still catching at that point before they moved him to first base. And he said, well, good luck to Carlos Santana, like kind of, and, and Santana was like, we'll be fine. It's just, don't worry about us, you know. And I think that, too, you know, when you're getting hostility from your catcher 
and push back from your catcher, that's not going to work so well either. Yeah, that's that's not a very healthy relationship uh, no. <laughs> for a starting pitcher and a, and a catcher, no. I don't think. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the pitchers that we will see in this series. Yeah. Um, it'll be Mike Clevenger against John Gant in game one on Monday, which... Interestingly enough, uh, I always have to bring this up when I talk about John Gant, and I had to when I saw the uh, the bio photo for Clevenger with the, with the hair. Um, yeah, because John Gant had that hair at the winter fan fest, winter warm up thing that the Cardinals do, and then he buzzed it all off. Wow, <laughs> Dr- this drastic change when he came to uh, to spring training, and I personally was quite devastated because the hair was fantastic. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because- Thing, yeah, yeah, he had a good thing going, and uh, and I, you know, I was worried that it was going to affect his pitching. It really hasn't. But John Gant is a guy that's starting in place of the now injured Michael Walker. The Cardinals have had more injuries this season than I can possibly recount, and it would be really boring, and no one would really care to listen to that list. Um, but the injury list seems to grow by the day. Michael Walker is the latest victim with a bit of a an oblique injury. That's a a bit of a problem <laughs> as far as the depth right. of the Cardinals organization. But John Gant has come up and made a couple of starts in place of injured pitchers so far this year. This is not unfamiliar territory, and he's been pretty phenomenal at the AAA level. He's been okay, not spectacular out of the major league rotation, um, but he'll get that start. Then game two, it is what should be the marquee matchup with Kluber going yeah. against Martinez. Yeah. Um, Martinez has not looked great his last few times out since coming back off of the DL. But this is one of those pitching matchups that if it if it isn't a classic pitcher's duel, I'm going to be thinking what could have been because Martinez right. pre-injury would have been really fascinating to put up against Kluber. Uh, and then yeah. it'll be Bieber versus Flaherty in the third and final game of the series. Flaherty has been phenomenal for the Cardinals. I think he struck out 13 in his last start. Uh, and the Cardinals lost that game. He gave up one run and was throwing a no-hitter through six, and the Cardinals lost. That's how bad their offense has been. But nonetheless, um, that's that's the starting pitching uh, matchups for this series. Obviously, we know what Kluber has been. What do you expect from this trio of guys out of that starting rotation in this series? I, I mean, these are three that I would trust. Bieber, I mean, this would only be, I believe, his third or fourth major league start at this point. But, I mean, he's one of the, you know, the, I guess, it's one of the pitchers at the higher level with higher expectations attached to him. I mean, some of the, the real, like, super talented pitchers are still kind of, you know, back in their development. Um, but he, really the other night, what was impressive to me about Bieber is he got into trouble at a couple of, a couple of times and he managed to stay calm and get out of it. And I know with young pitchers, sometimes stuff can start to snowball and it goes out of control. So um, I'm not really sure. He's sort of still a wild card to me. I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a rough game, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see him have a really nice outing. Clevenger, um, I've come to expect, you know, he's had a couple of shaky moments. But other than that, he's been pretty solid. And this is someone that the Indians got for a Vinny Pestano that was way past his prime that they traded to the Angels and got Mike Clevenger back. And at first, Clevenger looked like, okay, maybe a, a spot starter, maybe a number five starter. But he has really worked the last couple of years and really um, really made a lot of improvements, and he's been pitching very well so far this year. And Kluber, um, he's had some problems on and off the past year or so with his back. 
And he had a bad start. I think it was two outings ago. He didn't, you know, I think he lost. It was only a second loss. And because his first loss was opening night against the Mariners. And I think it was like a two to one game. So he really gave up a home run with someone on base. And then that was it. But they didn't get any hits. So, it's, you know, it's, like you were saying, there's not much you can do when your offense isn't, isn't really chipping in. Um, and it seemed like it was a one-off because then the other night or the other day, it was actually pitched in the day game against Chicago. And he pitched a one-hitter like into the seventh inning. So he's this year been better than I've seen him. I mean, even even better than last year. I guess he had this stretch during the winning streak where he was just on fire and looked incredible. And I mean, he went on to win the Cy Young. And I know there's, you know, Verlander and Garrett Cole are both having great years as well. But I think if this, What's, what's taking place right now continues. I don't see how you can cannot put Uber in that conversation as well. When I, I love, for example, when Carlos Martinez is healthy and he's pitching well, I often tell people that even if he did not play for the team that I watch all the time, I'd want to watch him pitch because he's so fascinating in the way that he gets hitters out. So when you watch someone like Kluber, what is the most interesting or the most captivating captivating part of how he approaches any given start he really it, it just seems like a lot of times he managed to back manages to really baffle hitters you know and you've seen guys say I think it's coming in it looks like a ball and then the bottom falls out of it or I mean it looks like a strike it looks like it's right down the middle of the plate then the bottom falls out of it and I don't have a chance or the opposite, this comes in, it looks like it's a ball, it looks like it's going to be high or low or outside, and all of a sudden it swerves back into the strike zone and it goes right over the plate. And it's just his pitches have enough movement and all over the place that I think that it keeps hitters really, really off balance. They really can't figure out where it's coming from and what's going on. I do remember what the last time I saw the Indians play the Cardinals would have been, I think 2015 was the last time they saw each other, and that's the game where Hoover struck out 18 and at one hit. And it was, it was, I think the hit was from Johnny Peralta. In fact, my friend and I had a bet going who would get the hit that would ruin it. And I said, it would have to be Johnny Peralta because there's a history there with Indians fans and they were glad to see him leave. And, and, and it was. But I, I just remember there were a couple guys after that game who said, you know, we were, we really couldn't figure out where the ball was at times. And I think that's where he's so difficult. He really manages, you know, through his, delivery and through the movement on his pitches to keep people just completely off balance. And sometimes that unpredictability of those pitches is hard to control, but when you have someone who can who can control it enough that it's deceptive, um, especially, man, <laughs> I'm listening to you describe that and, and go back to that game uh, the last time these teams faced each other, and these this Cardinals lineup offensively has just been has been baffled by far less deceptive pitchers this oh, year. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned, <laughs> to say the least, um, because that sort of has been, and it's interesting, the Cardinals will go off on a pitcher that is supposed to be the ace and, and just hit him all over the place, and then they'll be, um, you know, they'll strike out 14 times against a, a soft-tossing lefty, and it's yeah. very confusing. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, that it, sounds very, very familiar. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It seems like a lot of parallels um, between what has been the good times and the bad times for both of these right. teams this year. You mentioned the roller coaster that is a major league bullpen, uh, particularly when injuries come into play. Now, Andrew Miller is a guy that a lot of major league teams have tried to craft a reliever after because of the success that he's had in some yeah. pretty particular roles, kind of being that guy that comes in and whatever the the most significant moment of the game is. The Indians without him in the bullpen, what has that looked like and, and who has kind of been involved in trying to <laughs> trying to fill in those innings when necessary without him? It, it's been a weird mishmash, and I have to say, in the sec- going back to the second half of last season, he really hasn't fully been himself. He hurt his knee. I don't think it's ever really quite come back 100%. Or maybe they try and bring him back a little too soon and he re-injures it. Or he's really just having trouble pushing off of that leg to, you know, to really throw his best stuff. The Indians, in the meantime, have sort of... And, and I think, too, the other thing was Shaw. They really didn't have someone to replace Shaw, which he was a solid pitcher. And what you're losing there is we used to joke that he, he made an appearance in every game. I mean, I think he set the innings pitched record for he, – he threw in 89 different games or something like that the one year, not last year, than 2016. And so this is someone Francona went to and went to and went to and went to. And I think they planned to use Nick Goody, who just was kind of a surprise, you know, guy they picked up last year and he ended up pitching well. But then he got hurt. They were hoping to maybe use Dan Otero like that. Dan Otero's had a very rough season. They've ended up using Neil Ramirez. I'm not even too sure about Emil Ramirez's background because literally they were just bringing cannon fodder up one after the other from Columbus to see who would stay. And he's been used a lot. Like you see him at least about once a game. And then they still have Cody Allen closing, who um, other than a couple rough starts has been pretty, I mean, a couple rough saves. He's been a couple, I mean, he's been pretty good otherwise. Yeah, the <laughs> it's just so funny because there's so many moments in uh, what you just said that I could have replaced yeah. a Cardinals pitcher and Mike right. Rapini, and you would have thought it was the same team. Um, Matt Bowman was the guy that was pitched almost every game last year for the Cardinals. He uh, was on that pace this year before uh, hitting the DL a couple of times, most recently mm-hmm. middle of last week, um, with a condition where essentially his hand goes numb, <laughs> can't feel his oh, fingertips, um, which is problematic for a pitcher. Right. Uh, so that's not a thoracic outlet. No, it's a, it's a different condition, um, that, that basically feels like frostbite. Um, that tends to be, it's, it's weird because, uh, you know, in my quick, uh, medical research on the internet, uh, tends to happen in the cold or with, um, particularly high levels of stress. So pitching every day is probably not helpful. Um, But the Cardinals have been in this weird, vicious cycle where uh, a reliever comes off the DL and then within a couple of appearances admits Mm -hmm. that they weren't quite as healthy as they first said they were. So then they go back on the DL. Um, right. Matt Bowman being one of those. So the the overuse of one particular guy has been a bit less this season for Mike Matheny because although many people would argue that's uh, 
that Jordan Hicks has filled that role. Um, but the Cardinals have just had such a hard time <laughs> keeping anyone in the bullpen that yeah. uh, overuse isn't as much a factor as just finding someone who can who can get out. So the names right. that have been utilized have uh, have not been the ones that you expected at the beginning of the year. Yeah. The Cardinals' closer situation was a bit of a disaster to begin with. The Cardinals signed Greg Holland on opening day, and oh, um, right. he's been pretty terrible. Uh, he actually just came back off of a DL stint where he had some pretty terrible minor league rehab appearances and then suddenly was back on the major league roster. Um, but he's actually pitched three consecutive good outings, which is good, but uh, I don't know about inspiring at this point. Right, right, um, yeah. But the Cardinals will take it. They just got to get outs somewhere, especially with the injuries that have taken place in the uh, the starting rotation. So the the injury to Andrew Miller plus the 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 inconsistency from other relievers is uh, very familiar territory yeah. for Cardinals fans. Um, I was talking to someone else today, and we were talking about well, hopefully it doesn't end up as a bullpen game uh, in a different series because bullpens are so volatile anyway. And yeah. then when you start mixing players and matching up guys that probably shouldn't be in those situations it, get, it just gets very messy <laughs> yeah. I, I like the Holland signing at the time though I mean I was kind of hoping the Indians would grab him you know and then when I saw he wasn't wasn't doing so well I thought well maybe that's a bullet dodge for me like him like we should go get him you know kind of thing but yeah it was you know I didn't love it um just because I felt like it, it was a <laughs> Not really because of Greg Holland. I, you know, he struggled towards the end of last year, but there were some issues with yeah. that as well that, that should have been easily resolved. Um, but the just with the other pieces that the Cardinals had, it was just very strange. Oh, the timing yeah. was weird. Um, and then, of course, he didn't have a spring training, which can only be an excuse for so long. But, uh, you know, when you look at those guys that were straggling towards the end of the offseason and signed real late – most of them struggled, especially pitchers, exactly. to to get going. So I think that definitely was was a factor. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that's resolved, but we'll see. Um, right. But you mentioned that came up at the oh sorry, I was going to say oh, that came ahead. up at the Saber convention. They were discussing the fact that these guys were working out at some camp that one of the agencies set up, and they're really not. You know, they're not getting the preparation they need. It's completely different from the camp they'd normally go to. It's a and really. It, it's a really interesting sell, I think, on the part of agents for these guys who, you know, sell it as, well, they've been working out, they've been throwing, they've been doing all of these things that they try to make it sound like it was a normal spring training. Right. But but then when they struggle, the the fallback is, oh, well, they didn't have a normal spring training. So yeah. it's uh, it's obviously not quite as comparable as uh, as they would like you to believe. And I right. think you can see exactly. that in the results of most of those guys who signed really late. You mentioned thinking that Holland maybe uh, would be a good option for the Indians. As we creep closer to the trade deadline, is there a particular, maybe the bullpen, obviously, from this conversation, uh, is there a particular place that you think the Indians will look to improve, especially because they're in a division that there there should not be any problem for them to win? Um, yeah. But in those situations, you're obviously thinking, postseason, right? What do they need to be one of the most competitive teams in baseball? And and at this point, where does it look like they might try to improve? I really definitely think they need the bullpen. One person I like, I really liked um, 
the Royals closer, Kelvin Herrera, because, I mean, he's up, his contract's up at the end of the year. But I knew that was going to be very, very unlikely. They dealt with him the division, and then, he, you know, he already went to Washington. So I'm not sure who else they may target. And then since the offseason, since at least January, there have been Manny Machado rumors. And I'm just... I just don't buy that they're as serious as they are. I feel like the Indians are like the bait team, you know, to get someone else to really give up what they they want to get or something. And they're keeping the Indians in the mix to, to see. But I mean, you know, I guess the idea behind that, because at first I was like, where would you, where would he even go now that you have Ramirez and Lindor on the left side? But the other kind of elephant in the room is Jason Kipnis has never really been the same. He's playing much better over the past week or two, but Literally, he hit something like 300 or 350 over the last week or two, and it still only brought his average up to just over 200. He's been, you know, settled around 170 something. He hasn't been walking that much. It's, it's really been, and, and Francona kept him second in the lineup for a very long time, much longer than he should have before he dropped him down. So I guess the idea would be you move Kipnis out of there and you move Ramirez over to second, where he can also play, and he has played. And then you would put Machado at third, I guess. But I still just, for what, even though it'd be half your rental, I still just don't see them giving up that much for a half year rental when they really should be going after the bullpen. And I really think that's what they'll do. And they really, they, they have a knack. I will give them credit for this, that sometimes they frustrate me and some of the decisions they make seem crazy to me. But it seems like they're very good at finding sort of a diamond in the rough. You know, they found Brandon Geyer, who wasn't, you know, one of the top trade pieces back in 2016, but he's been a great platoon outfielder. I think that they're they're kind of good at finding those guys who really they can plug in. They just picked up Oliver Perez. Um, he was in, I think it's Scranton for the Yankees at AAA, and, and their bullpen so cool they don't they don't have room for him. And he's has a throw must a be nice. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, it's a small sample size, but he's he's really been throwing well um, in matchup situations since they've been using him. So it's been sort of a good fill in. Um, having you know losing Andrew Miller, so I I I would expect them if I'm being honest to just go find pieces like that, you know, not the top pieces like what they can sort of cobble together and what they think will be sort of like bang for their buck. I just don't see them. But then again, in 2016, I said I didn't see them doing anything big. They went for Miller, and then they went for actually, um, oh my God, the catcher. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Milwaukee's catcher. And he oh, turned down the uh, trade. Lucroy. Lucroy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And they, they had agreed to the Lucroy trade right. rather than, you know, and then he rejected it himself. And, and that both of those shocked, just shocked me. I mean, I was walking around for days like, in the world, like, that's not like them. And so with that being said, they surprised me every so often, but I still would expect them to be sort of um, more conservative at the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I think that's sort of been the M.O. for the Cardinals front office as well, is to try to, especially in the case, Manny Machado's been a part of the Cardinals rumors uh, since the offseason as well, uh, primarily because um, they just don't have uh, a, a sort of franchise player at this point, and that seems to be what Machado could be, although there's some there's some indication that he may not be quite the upgrade that everyone wants him to be because he's one guy that's going to be available. Um, but that's a, that's a conversation <laughs> all to itself. Um, but, you know, the Cardinals have in the past gone out and made a move for a reliever that, that left a lot of people kind of scratching their heads. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, 
Uh, okay, I see how that worked out. Um, I think the Cardinals are more than one reliever away from being uh, from being postseason ready at this point. But again, whole nother conversation. The last question I will ask you is just kind of in general when you look at this Indians team and and what people are talking about the way this season has gone. Is there a storyline or a player or something that you feel like? is underrated at this point that maybe isn't getting the attention that uh, that it should because of other things that have kind of overshadowed it? Well, I don't know about underrated, but I do know one thing that's been interesting is teams have been increasingly um, more hesitant to pitch to Jose Ramirez, and they have been intentionally walking him to get to Edwin Encarnacion. And today he hit a grand slam after Ramirez was intentionally walked to load the bases. And he was furious. I mean, he came in and he was yelling, he was pumping his fist and uh, he was grabbing Ramirez. And I mean, so I think that, you know, he's still a good player and teams are kind of overlooking him to just get Ramirez out of the way. I don't want to deal with him. We'll deal with him. But I think he could still do a lot of damage. I mean, like I said, he had a slow start, but he always does and he always comes back. I think that's been, um, you know, and then the other person would be Neil Ramirez probably in the bullpen, who's just really, he, he had an ERA that was close to 10. It's down to like 2.5. So, I mean, he's really um, become someone that Francona has confidence to go to and goes to fairly often now, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, but he's, he's kind of helped stabilize things, I think, in the bullpen. Well, the Cardinals are on quite the stretch as far as, games against teams that have been very good for most of the year, teams leading the division, teams towards the top of their division. So uh, I imagine, I see this as being a very tough test for this Cardinals team that came off of two pretty embarrassing losses to the Brewers and then salvaged a split with the last two games of the series in Milwaukee. So they will head home to welcome the Indians. I appreciate your time in uh, getting us all caught up to speed on all things Indians. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, the Cardinals also wrapped up the series with the Brewers without center fielder Tommy Pham, who was battling flu-like symptoms evidently for most of the road trip, but he's also been battling, well, strikeouts, as has most of the rest of the lineup. And when Game 2 features Corey Kluber for the Indians, that's concerning. So the Cardinals will look to get back on track. The Indians will look to keep things rolling as they have won seven in a row heading into the series with the Cardinals. Make sure you give Stephanie a follow on Twitter so that she can keep you up to date on all things Indians during this series. And then you can follow all of the great work that she does covering this team as well. For Birds on the Black, I'm Tara Wellman, and I'll see you next time.